The rabbit didn't kill Acme. He's not a murderer. I should know. He's a dear friend of mine. I tell you, Valiant, the whole thing stinks like yesterday's diapers. Look at this. The paper said Acme left no will. That's a load of sucker dash. Every toon knows Acme had a will. He promised to leave Toontown to us toons. That will is the reason he got bumped off. Has anybody ever seen this will? I know, but he gave us his solemn oath. If you believed it, that joker could do anything solid. The gag's on you, pal. I just figured since you were the one who got my pal in trouble, you might want to help get him out. Welcome to Out of Touch, John. My name is Mike DeKalb, and we've got a special episode for you today. We had already wrapped up 1994, and before we get, begin into 1995, which is a very bizarre year for Disney on the whole, uh, we thought we'd take a look back at the first 10 years. Basically, Touchstone Pictures was founded in 1984, and by the end of 1994, there were a lot of big studio shakeups, if you will, with Jeffrey Katzenberg leaving. And so we thought we'd take one last look at this first 10-year period, the Katzenberg era, if you will, before we move on. And so I'm going to introduce my co-host, Mr. Chad Smart. Chad, are you ready to take a look back before we look forward? I, I am. And I think, you know, that was my uh, high school theme, my junior year, looking forward to looking back or looking back <laughs> to looking forward. And so, okay. no, I, you know, we, we've been talking off air about how this episode is going to go. And I, I'm, I think this conversation is going to be interesting because I have some information and the history of leading up to touchstone. I think, you know, I never would have guessed why Disney needed touchstone as badly as they did. Okay. Yeah. And then I, I guess I'll, I'll just kind of preface it by, by letting our listeners know that in the midst of watching all these movies for our podcast, Chad has also had another project going, which kind of dovetails into what we've been doing where now you can, I'll let you tell us the whole story, but you're basically watching the top 100 movies of the last 30 years. Yes. When we were in 1992 on touchstone, we had a little hiatus. And so to fill the time, um, you know, cause I was right, I think right at the beginning of stay at home periods in, in our lives um, you know, I didn't have anything to do. So I was like, okay, let me go through the top 100 movies of 1992 to see what Disney, comp what competition there was in the box office. And after I finished 1992, everything that was streaming on the services that I had, my curiosity got the better of me. And I was like, I wonder how many of the top 100 movies from 1980 to through 2019, because that's uh, box office mojo where I got the numbers started in 1980. How many of these films have I seen? And so for the last three years, I have just been going through and crossing off movies. I, I have watched way too many films in the last three years, which is part of the reason why when we started doing these shows, I'm like, wait, okay, what was that? that what was in the movie, that movie? I don't know because I'm confusing yeah. them. So it, that is the drawback. But yeah, I've been going through this and especially the early 80s, it's like a, um, you know, a lot of films I hadn't seen because, mm -hmm. you know, that was like the early days of cable television and me being you know, under the age of 10, I'm not sitting here watching the competition with the king of touchstone, Richard Dreyfus, about <laughs> a, you know, a piano concert pianist competition. I'm like, no. So when did, when does our movie loving begin? Like, I guess we can tell the listeners, Chad was born 1974. I was born 1976. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I don't remember anything before like star Wars. I mean, I didn't see star Wars yeah. in 1977, obviously, 
but it was something that aired on HBO a lot when I was a kid. I've I've said before that the very first movie that I saw in the theater was Empire Strikes Back. I also, because I think it sounds cooler than the other movie, which may have been the first movie I saw in a theater, which I found out later was a Disney co-production. And that was Popeye with Robin Williams. Oh. But I, I, remember, I remember seeing that in Empire in the, in the theater around the same time. But yeah, like, I feel like I never have not gone back and watched a lot of those movies from that time period you're talking about. Like, is it breaking away in there? Like in the early eighties? Yeah. Which is one of the movies I had not seen. And that's you know, I'd heard only good things about it. And I'm like, yeah, I can see why it has the reputation that it did. But uh, to answer your question, I I didn't see Star Wars. I'm pretty sure in 1977, as I would have been three years old, but I'm mm. pretty sure in 1978, I probably saw it because that is the first film that I saw at a drive-in theater okay. with a double feature of the Goldie Hawn, uh, George Siegel movie, Duchess and the Dirtwater Fox. Why that movie is stuck in my head. No idea. But, wow. Yeah. I was going to say, what was the first movies you can remember seeing? Yeah. Yes. I think our generation, especially for boys, was the Star Wars, some kind of a Star yeah. Wars movie, you know? Yeah. And then I remember seeing Empire in the theater. And um, and then I would say, you know, my outside of Star Wars, my love of cinema and when I really started paying attention was probably 1982 because um, that's the year E.T. Yeah. came out. First movie I saw more than once in a theater. And I had a friend whose sister was working at the theater at the mall. so we got to go see movies for free and mm, uh, that's nice. why eight-year-old me went and saw staying alive having never seen saturday night <laughs> fever but hey it's free so yeah i feel like you said eight-year-old me would be the same thing about 84 i feel like that that may have been around the same the time that we got a vcr maybe 84 85 and so my movie loving begins with the you know the not raiders temple of doom Ghostbusters, you know, we grew up, I mean, obviously we talk about all the time on this show, we grew up in a really good time for movies, but do you remember watching Disney films? Like, I don't remember Disney being a thing until I was probably in like junior high. And I I think I may have told the story on this podcast before, but I can vividly remember going to one of my best friend's house and spending the night. And then the next morning waking up and his kid sister was watching Little Mermaid on the clamshell VHS uh, tape, you know, and I kind of sat and watched it with her for a minute. Like, I remember, I remember the Rescuers Down Under being around being, you know, Aristocats. I remember seeing those, you know, because I think the Disney Channel started around the same time Touchstone did. So I feel like we would have, those were the movies would have been on, but I have no concept of like the classic Disney animation. I never saw Dumbo. I, I still never seen Dumbo. I've never seen Sleeping Beauty. I ju- I only saw uh, Bambi because I was working at a job and I had to watch it to do doing QC on the DVD for Bambi. I still have never seen Pinocchio. You know, I only saw Snow White a few years ago. I went to a screening uh, at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica, which we always talk about on this mm-hmm. show, and it was very bizarre because John Favreau did an introduction, and it was a, it was a Sunday matinee, and you could, there was a lot of kids there. And I guess John Favreau had been working. He's working on some sort of a movie that all about Walt and, and Disney Disneyland or something like that. I, I don't know whatever came of that. So they were like, he's a he, he's a big Disney person. Let's have him introduce this movie. And those kids could care less. <laughs> they just wanted to see Snow White. And he's out there mm-hmm. describing all the technical innovations and and the nine old man and all the a- animation. And these kids are just like, you know, bring on Snow White. So uh, I still have not, because did you not, correct me if I'm wrong, when the pandemic hit, did you not go through and watch all of Disney's animated films? Uh, when Disney Plus, not a sponsor, launched, I went through all the Disney animated films in order um, because I had not seen a lot of the 
early ones and really up until um, probably the aristocrat Robin Hood. The aristocrats are ones I remember from childhood, like renting the VHS or um, I think I saw aristocrats in the theater, uh, Fox mm-hmm. and the Hound. It's all in the theater, but yeah, it, it was just one of those things. It's like, okay, we have Disney plus not a sponsor. Go, let's utilize it. Sure. Which, which for this podcast and what I'm about to talk about early here in the next few minutes, uh, there's a lot more that I wish I could utilize, not a sponsor um, for, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I mean, figure out who to talk to about that. It's a shame because I mean, I was there when it launched, I was on the lot, they had a big party and, and it was really neat. And then when I, I signed up for it that day and I'm like, there's a lot of stuff on here. And I feel, but at the same time, you're all, there's also, also missing a lot of stuff. Funny. You mentioned Robin. Hood. That's another one of the ones I, I, I can remember Robin hood as a kid. Cause I think I had the soundtrack on vinyl, but uh, yeah, I think that that actually dovetails into the first uh, question I wanted to ask you, or at least the conversation I wanted to have. Now I don't necessarily want to rehash everything we talked about in our very first episode. Cause quite frankly, Chad, I'm afraid to go back and listen to our <laughs> first episode. Like every podcast says, I know what they mean. Cause I feel like I, I wanted to put so much into that episode. I did all this research and I was looking at the history of touchstone. And, and then I realized after a while, it's like, let's just talk about the movie. Let's just talk about, you know, yeah. the touchstone films. You don't need to go into all these specifics. And so I, I feel like the the genesis of Touchstone Pictures goes all the way back to like the 1960s when you hear, you know, Ron Ron Miller, who was running Disney in the late 70s and early 80s, Walt Walt's son-in-law had told the story about watching To Kill a Mockingbird mm-hmm. at a screening room with Walt. And as soon as the movie was over, Walt said, that's a really good movie. And I wish we could make a movie like that. And, you know, 20 years later, it kind of did. But I feel like, you know, Disney was doing all that stuff in the 40s and 50s. Did you I, I looked up for research for this podcast. Do you know what Disney's first live action movie was? I want to say Treasure Island. Treasure Island, 1950. Yeah. And so I feel like they did all that stuff in the 60s with Kurt Russell and, you know, uh, Haley Mills or what? I, that was that was Disney, right? Haley Mills, all those. Yeah. 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 Parent Trap, the computer wore tennis shoes, uh, World's Strongest Man or I think that's one of the Kurt Russell movies, but uh, yeah. Uh, And and so that that's where I was going to start too, is I was going to ask you, do you, are you familiar with the Disney live action films from the fifties and sixties? Well, you know, what's so funny is we talk a lot about how uh, Richard Dreyfuss is the King of Touchstone Mm -hmm. and based on my childhood. And I'm still surprised when I flip through Disney plus not a sponsor and I keep seeing Mm -hmm. movies starring who I consider to be the King of the live action Disney films, of the sixties and seventies, that was Dean Jones mm. because he's in like so many of those movies, right? Like you don't even realize, you know, like something like snowball express or, um, uh, God, he's gotta be, I'm sure he, I'm, I'm willing to bet that Dean Jones did a movie with Kurt Russell as well. Uh, is there's gotta be that Venn diagram cannot be that <laughs> wide, you know, but yeah. then, yeah, like, I don't want to say shaggy DA, right. Wasn't that, mm-hmm. uh, shaggy DA. Shaggy, yeah. Sh- Shaggy Dog, weren't those, wasn't Dean Gene Jones is in all those movies, yeah. right? And so I can, for some reason, I can remember Dean Jones. That's all I can remember. I mean, I remember the Herbie movies. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, yep. all I remember is is the kid saying Ocho, right? Oh. Was that was that, was that the plot of one of the movies? Because he was like, they're like, Ocho. And he's like, yeah, because Herbie's 53. And it's like five plus three is eight. Eight is Ocho. And you're like, okay. I mean, I remember Cannibal Run when I was a kid, stuff like <laughs> that. But those weren't Disney movies. But for some reason, I do remember the Herbie movies, and that's kind of about it. Like, I never saw Apple Dumpling Gang or anything like mm. that. I never saw the Jodie Foster Freaky Friday. 
uh, the, you know, escape to which yeah. mountain stuff like that. I, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing some of those if I ever get bored and I I'm flipping through the streaming platform, but uh, yeah. Did you watch some of those then? I mean, I, I've watched them as kids and I recommend the freaky Friday movie. And that's one that I remember seeing a lot on cable, um, but not, you know, not associating it with Disney at the time, because again, as a kid watching films, I really didn't identify studios with films. You know, it was just, Hey, here's star Wars. Here's mm-hmm. yeah. I, you know, I think I've told you it took me way too long to realize the Fox fanfare is not star Wars music. Right. <laughs> that is just, when I hear that, it's like, okay, the next notes are the intro to star Wars. Come on. Um, that was the sad part when they, they were saying when 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 Disney bought Lucasfilm is we're yeah. not going to have that fanfare the head of Star Wars movies anymore. Yeah. And you're right. I, I thought that was part of a, of, a, of the Star Wars is part of the Lucasfilm logo, basically. Yeah. So anyway, with this, these Disney films in the 50s and 60s, you had, you know, Disney was making these successful family friendly films. Now you get to this, you know, late 60s, early 70s or even, you know, later 70s, the entire 70s decade. Mike, you've studied cinema. What mm-hmm. happened in the seventies in the in box this, office? In the box office, or, I mean, or, well, in the in theater, in film making overall. Well, I think there's two big things about the seventies. Number one is you get you have the rise of the sort of auteur, mm-hmm. right? You have you have you have the studios basically throwing the the money and also just creative control to these figures like Martin Scorsese. Or um, Michael Cimino after he did Heaven's Gate, like they would win an Oscar or they'd do something critically acclaimed and they'd just be like, here, Francis Coppola, you make us a movie. We, we don't care. We won't. There's no oversight. And then that's what happens when and then you give Michael Cimino a bunch of money to do Heaven's Gate mm-hmm. and then he bankrupts United mm-hmm. Artists because he right. didn't let anybody onto the set and, and rein him in, you know. And then the other half of the 70s would, of course, be Jaws and Star Wars and the rise of the blockbuster, right? Mm-hmm. The first movies to gross over 100 million, I believe, at the box office. Yeah, I believe so. And going back, you know, to the auteur, you also, these filmmakers were making more realistic, more gritty films. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, it's not Mary Poppins and and The Parent Trap anymore. You know, it's Taxi Driver. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm trying to think of Brian now. And yeah, De Palma would have been Carrie and uh, well, not Phantom of the Paradise. You know how much I love that movie, but <laughs> right. But yeah, Car- Sisters and and then you would have had. um Oh God, it would have been like, I mean, John Cassavetes would have been doing a lot of stuff, right? Those yeah. indie movies. And that's why I feel like a lot of people rave about the 1970s as a decade. I was more in love with the sixties. Like I always mm-hmm. joke about how I'd love to be a teach film classes. Mm-hmm. And one of the classes I would love to teach would be um, about the sixties. So I think most people would be like, Oh, if you're going to teach a, a class about a decade of cinema, besides, you know, the fun movies of the eighties, people say, Oh, do the seventies. There's so much more ripe for analysis, but I'm like, no, no, the sixties would be so much more interesting to me because you could start with black and white movies and end with colored movies. You know, like you could start mm-hmm. with psycho, you know, and stuff like that. And then you could end with Butch Cassidy and wild bunch and stuff like that. That was while the Vietnam war was going on and you see the transition. Here's Mary Poppins. Here's yeah. hard day's night. And then here's midnight cowboy, you know, <laughs> like it's that would, those were all in the same decade. And it's interesting to think about what, Disney would have been doing by that time. I was going to mention before I forget, because I don't think you've been to the Walt Disney Family Museum up in San Francisco. I have not. That, I cannot recommend that enough. If there's anybody listening who's in the area or going to visit San Francisco, it's in the Presidio. Um, it, you know, it's a little bit congested over there. Parking is kind of a pain. But there's a, it's called the Walt Disney Family Museum. And it's sort of like a history of all the, all these random artifacts that he had. It's a lot of stuff with the park. Mm-hmm. They've got, um, but 
what I found the most fascinating kind of related to what we're talking about is there's movie posters lining the walls. And when I was walking around there with my wife, who's a big Disney fan, we were just like, what is that movie? <laughs> what I've never heard of this. What, what exactly is this one? And, you know, if you scroll through the list of Walt Disney pictures, especially the ones from the 1970s, you're just like, what is Napoleon and Samantha? What is the, you know, the million dollar duck? Okay. Maybe I would have heard of that one, but you know, Charlie and the angel and Island at the top of the world. Like what exactly are these things? I mean, and, and they, so they must've been cranking them out. You said they were successful. I'm just going to take your word for it. I just don't know if they didn't really have much of a legacy to them. Well, yeah, I would say the, the, 50s and 60s were success were more successful than 70 the 70s were for okay. Disney. So that's where the touchstone story kind of begins is in the 70s when the, you have this change in what is being you know presented at the cinema. Disney takes a nosedive, and mm -hmm. you know I the the earliest date that I could find going back to was 1977. And Disney's highest rated film of 1977 was Pete's Dragon, which finished 11th for the year. Not bad. 11th. Wow. And that's a combination live action and animation, right? Live action and animation. That is the highest film ranking per, at the, per the end of the year until Splash in 1984, the first Touchstone film, which mm -hmm. finished at 10th in 10th place. Okay. Um, between there, you know, you have movies like like you mentioned, Return to Witch Mountain, which only made 16 million. Black Hole made 35. And then, uh, you know, Tron, which was supposed to be a huge hit in 1982, only finished with 33 million for 22nd place. Uh, in 1981, they released The Devil and Max Devlin mm -hmm. with uh, Bill Cosby and Elliot Gould. And that movie pretty much bombed. I mean, finished uh, 45th place with $16 million for the year. Um, Fox and the Hound finished higher up, but that's, you know, Disney animation has yeah. its own legacy. Devil and Max Devlin, I saw, was one of three films to influence the creation of Touchstone and, and yes. Hollywood Pictures later on. Um, I couldn't find, I didn't see what the other two were. I'm going to guess Tron would have been in there. But Disney at this time is just losing money. And in... Um, in 1982, they lost $27 million. 1983, they lost $33 million. So those are the last two years before Touchstone started. Mm -hmm. um, you, go ahead. No, so do, you remember, do you remember The Devil and Max Devil? Another one of those movies I can remember seeing at some point when I was a child. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because now it's kind of hard to find. Yeah, it, it is out of print on DVD. It's not streaming anywhere. And I again, it's one of those movies I remember from my childhood. I couldn't tell you really any details about it but i know that i have seen it and and like I said you know the fact that it had bill cosby and then right after it was released the cosby show was popular and everybody still liked bill cosby and it's never you know it, it did not um translate over into any popularity for the film you know would you would have had home video taking off at this point in time as well and yeah the disney you know outside of their cartoons Disney was not making successful films. Yeah, yeah. And and I think one of the things that I had asked you for when we were doing the planning for this episode is I wanted to kind of go back and watch some of those movies from the late 70s and early 80s that kind of helped spawn the idea of Touchstone Pictures. Mm -hmm. You know, sadly, like you mentioned, virtually none of them are streaming, especially on like Disney Plus. 
Um, I know that Tron and the black hole are on there, but for the most part, yeah, they're, they're you can go rent them from iTunes, mm-hmm. you know, but they're not even, not even on like, not even on Hulu or anything. They're not, they're not really streaming anywhere. And so I kind of pick and I picked and chose is that, is that the, is that the past tense of pick and choose? Yeah. And I was looking for stuff that I, I thought would be interesting for me and also inform this discussion. And so the ones that I watched, I did watch the black hole and I don't know, Chad, have you seen the black hole? Uh, it's been a few years, but yes, okay. that I think was not nearly as bad as I was expecting. Cause you hear that it's just notoriously bad. I think we, my wife looked it up on IMDb before we started the movie. And I think it had like a 3.2, she said mm. out of 10. And the whole time I'm watching it, it's like, this is pure science fiction. And that's always been my thing when it comes to sci-fi. People throw that term around a lot and they just assume, oh, it's sci-fi if it takes place in space. And you're like, no, there's a little more to it. My thing when I consider pure science fiction is the idea that the characters, the protagonists in your show or your movie, they're learning what's going on the same time the viewer is. Like you are wrapped into, that's what I love about Doctor Who is Doctor Who land, the doctor lands where he lands. And then he's figuring, he or she, I guess with Jodie Whittaker, it was figuring it out while you're figuring it out. And the black hole plays like a Star Trek episode. And it had a very Gene Roddenberry type feel. I think Star Trek, the motion picture had just come out a few years before, a couple of years before that. So I had no problem with that movie until the very end. I would even say the third act because the third act is like this really kind of exciting action movie where they're like, okay, well now we have to get out of here. You know, the first two acts is building up, you know, setting the, the plot building the world that they're in which is fascinating and you're meeting all the characters and then you start to learn all the twists and all the dark side of what's going on and then okay now we got to get out of here and then the very like last 10-15 minutes becomes Disney's attempt to make 2001 and it just goes off the rails and so maybe that's why people think it's so bad because I will tell you the first like so the first 90% of that movie you're like okay this is kind of interesting it's got great cast incredible Mm. cast um, but then all of a sudden you're like, oh, are we trying to make like something really, really smart rather than just making like a Disney movie that would just be kind of a, the widest appeal to as many people possible. So, I mean, I would, I would recommend, again, it's on Disney plus not a sponsor. So I would say, guess one of the ones watch it with a grain of salt and just, just take it for what it is. And you might be surprised, but I think that was one of the most ambitious movies of that era. Not just because of the fact that it was on Disney plus that I want to watch it. I want to watch it because I've heard about it for, for decades. Yeah. And have never actually seen it. And that and, was that was the one I watched. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder too, you know, because that came out after Star Wars, after uh, I believe Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers around the same time. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, there's just so many wannabe Star Wars movies that, you know, guilty by association, maybe as well. They sat so they so basically what you're telling me is that Disney saturated the market with a, <laughs> a certain genre. You know, maybe, you know, maybe like like stuff that would have been, would have been in like comic books. I don't believe you, Chad. Yeah. You know, I mean, you. And not just Disney at the time, but yes. Yeah. Uh, well, and in that regard too, he's talking about going back and watching films you hadn't seen. I watched a movie I had not heard of called Candle Shoe. Are you Candle familiar? Shoe. Is that the one with, I, for some reason I was thinking David Niven, but no, is that David Niven? It is David Niven. Okay. And Jodie Foster. All right. Tell me about Candle Shoe, Chad. I don't, I don't, I, I feel like I've heard the title, but I've, ne- I've never seen it. Candle Shoe is about a English per- woman whose grand granddaughter has gone missing for several years and a unscrupulous PI in America thinks that he has discovered her and 
that being Jodie Foster, takes her over to England to pass her off as this granddaughter because there is a treasure in the manor that uh, the grandmother is living in. And unbeknownst to the grandmother, they've kind of lot spent all the money that the family had inherited. And so David Nevin plays multiple characters, uh, the groundskeeper, the huh. butler, and he's just trying to fool the woman into thinking that they still have money. Um, okay. You got me. Yeah. That's a, yeah. yeah. And then it's Jodie Foster trying, you know, pretending to be this granddaughter and there are other like orphans that live there that, that it, it's, it's, I would recommend it, you know, watch yeah. it. But watching it, my other thought was, based on having seen Freaky Friday, Parent Trap, is that Disney, and I said this on our last episode when we were talking about Puppet Masters, Disney has a look to their films. Like you can just, if you put mm. it on, you're like, this is a Disney film. You know, sure. I don't know if it's the lighting, the film stock, you know, camera, but that too, I think at this time in the change from the 70s to the 80s, you know, it was it was getting passe and it was just a uh, kind of an albatross around Disney's neck, you know, holding their movies down because it was, you know, we talked about the 70s being grittier and Disney films are still kind of light and and fluffy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I believe so that. Then you get into the early 80s and the again, their movies are just, their live action films are not doing well. The animation is barely holding up you know there this is that down period um before the renaissance in the late 80s and um i found a quote from richard berger who was the president of disney films and this is from the new york times in, in 1984 i believe like right before splash came out and he's talking about disney having an image problem and he says audiences don't know who made star wars or raiders of the lost ark they do know who made Tron and the Apple Dumpling Gang. If you put Disney's name on top of Emmanuel and had X rated at the bottom, people would say, we can bring our children because it's Disney. <laughs> kind of like Marvel and Deadpool right now, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. You know? And then, you know, I believe that. I believe, you know, there is that name brand recognition that if you see Walt Disney Entertainment, you're going to think family friend, you know, especially at this period in time, you're going to think family friendly. Then yeah. to go along with that quote, I found a quote from Ron Miller on a site that uh, was, it was an article about the history of touchstone pictures. I was like, Oh, this is a cool site reading down, get to the last paragraph. And it's like, if you're this interest, you check out out of touchstone. I'm like, Oh my gosh, someone wrote about this podcast. Awesome. And really? Nixon's was it's co-hosted by my husband. <laughs> yeah i found your wife's article that she wrote for medium when the podcast launched and i was like oh i guess i should read bylines before reading articles but okay um but she had a quote from ron miller you know the namesake of the ronnies here at the out of touchstone and president of touchstone pictures who said that the strength of the Disney association with fine family entertainment can have a pronounced adverse effect on our ability to broaden our marketing and production horizons. I believe that some very fine Disney films in recent years with more adult themes have faltered at the box office because of it. For example, films like night crossing Tex, and Tron. So here's the th thing. Disney has this marketing issue. You know, if you put the Disney name on it, people are going to assume you know what they're getting and they're not really going to give 
the movie's probably a fair shake. I know, you know, jumping ahead in years, when Little Mermaid came out, my family went to see it over, uh, I think it was playing over Christmas and I had relatives in, um, you know, over the holidays, my family, my sister and my aunt and uncle went and saw it and they're like, do you want to go see The Little Mermaid? And I'm like, you know, I was 15 at the time. I'm like, no, that's a Disney film. Why would I want to go, you know, watch some kitty animation film? Mm-hmm. Mike, you know me. Little Mermaid yeah. is now one of my favorite Disney films. Yeah. Uh, so, but I had that bias of, well, it's a Disney film. I, you know, I know what to get. So, you know, these movies that Ron Miller mentioned, Night Crossing, Tex, and Tron, we're familiar with Tron. I mean, I, I believe you and I saw that at the aforementioned Arrow Theater. Yeah, back. I was going to mention that. We, I'm pretty sure it was a 25th anniversary screening mm-hmm. in 2007. And I, I'll never forget because that was one of the biggest Q&As I'd ever seen. There was like nine people on the stage, all these different visual effects people, Bruce Broxleitner, the, the yeah. star, and Steven Lisberger, the director. And I'll never forget during the Q&A, he was like, you know, I got an idea for a sequel. Yeah. If they'll just give me the money to make it. And then Tron Legacy came out like a few years later. But that was one of the, the another one of the movies that I watched in advance of this episode because I wanted to show it to my wife. She likes mm-hmm. science fiction. And I remember liking that movie. I didn't see it as a kid. You know, I saw I think the first time I saw it was at that screening. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I think I saw it when it first hit DVD, which is which is around like the 20th anniversary, early 2000s. It was with a buddy of, of, of ours, actually, who was our age he's actually a little bit younger than us but he had seen it when he was a kid and he kept telling me about it i'm like sure let's watch it one of these nights and seeing it again yeah it's so innovative and it's obviously very dated with some of these special effects but the story is there it's a pretty fascinating story and i i feel like that's another one of those ones that it just there's movies that they they land later yeah. but that, that that doesn't really help all the executives who were in charge at the time you know what no. i mean like they, they may they may they may grow into a, an audience you know, years down the line and, and mm-hmm. the, the stars and the filmmakers, they, 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 their careers continue and they'll be like, Oh, you're the guy that did Tron and stuff, but it didn't really help at the time with the marketing group and the, and the box office returns that weren't as great yeah. as it could have been. Yeah. I think it's a movie that was just ahead of its time with the whole computer, you know, arcade arcades and home computers were just coming into, I mean, arcades had been around for a few years, but the home computer was, you know, something still relatively new. So give it, you know, give it another decade, call it the Matrix, and you have a hit on your hands. I just love the fact that if anybody's listening at home that doesn't know us, um, Chad and I both used to live in Culver City, which is a suburb, kind of a part of the, kind of near the Santa Monica and the ocean west of Los Angeles downtown. Uh, I do not live there anymore. Chad still does. But the arcade from Tron, that is a Japanese restaurant. And it's walking distance from, from Chad's. Yeah. Like I used to walk by it all the time. I, I never actually ate there, but it, it's instantly recognizable when you see it. Yeah. yeah. And there is a business in the back now called Flynn's Arcade, which I have no idea what they do, but. Really? Yeah. It's like a speakeasy or something? Okay. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I don't know. I tried looking them up to see if there's like a restaurant or something, but couldn't find anything. Um, these other movies that were mentioned, have you seen Tex? No, I, I only know of Tex because when I was a kid, my sister um, was a big fan of the like the Brat Pack and all those uh, Tiger Beat 16 magazine. So we we watched Outsiders and I remember seeing the Outsiders uh, many times as a child. And then I think at one point my sister, this is, it's so funny to think about that, even even as kids, like as adults, when you see a movie, especially with those of us that went to film school like you and I did, like we will go, oh, what else did that filmmaker do? Or what else did this act, what else has that actor been in? Or what else did that writer done? And I remember, you know, my sister who who was only would have been about 13, 14 years old, 
saying, oh, hey, the, the, the woman who wrote the book, Outsiders, also wrote this other book called Rumblefish, and that's a movie. And then she also wrote this other book called Tex, and that's a movie. So I never saw it. I'm sure my sister probably did, but I remember hearing about it back then. I still have not seen it to this day. I assume you probably have, right? I have. I watched it uh, you know, a few years ago for the first time because, yeah, I had not seen it. And it, I mean, it's good. It's not Outsiders good, but a ah, few things hard. are. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, and you know, but it's another, you know, film that is aimed more towards a teenage audience, teenage or early twenties audience that, you know, probably saw the outsiders and enjoyed the outsiders, but then saw Walt Disney presents text and went, Oh, it's going to be some happy schmaltzy, you know, cowboy movie or whatever. And, but I wonder if it's like, well, here's the thing. We, we used to have another podcast where we talked about uh, one hit wonders and we were Mm -hmm. big, we're both big music lovers. And I always joke about how sometimes some of my favorite bands, you can't listen to their debut album. It's not as good, but their second album is really good. You know, and then you find yourself saying, well, they had to make that first album to get this one, to get, cut their, cut their teeth and get to that spot. Correct me if I'm wrong. Text predates the outsiders. And I'm wondering if, text came out disney took a chance on this and didn't do it kind of i wouldn't say bomb but it probably didn't do make the dent that they wanted it to make and then someone else was just like oh hey we've got another se hinton novel that we've optioned or whatever and they're like oh let's get francis coppola to do this and next thing you know we get the outsiders i'm pretty sure the outsiders was in 83 right so uh text would have been 82 and the rumblefish i think was in 84 so it was just like kind of like John Grisham, you know, they just keep cranking those out once once you, once they make a get a hit out of one of them. But I, I give credit, yeah, we should right. give credit to Disney for for making text first. And then all of a sudden uh the outsiders gets made yeah. after that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, I didn't look at the timeline, but yes, text did come first um in eighty two and then yeah, outsiders in eighty three. Um but, but again, just saying that Disney has this marketing pr- problem. Now, the last movie that was mentioned here is a film called Night Crossing, which mm. I asked you right before we started recording. Are you familiar with it? I had never heard of it. I'll be honest. With you, I had never heard of it until I started researching this episode. Neither had I. And mm. I watched it this afternoon, the day that we're recording this. It is, it's got John Hurt from uh, Alien so and Bo Bridges. And it's about two families in East Germany who escape to West Germany via a hot air, homemade hot air balloon. Hmm. It's based on a true story. It, in 1982, it finished in 74th place for the year. Hmm. This is a, you know, more of a, a adult drama. I would say, you know, I don't think a lot of kids are going to really appreciate or even understand what's happening, especially, yeah. you know, at that time. And, and, um, but I watched this movie. I cannot recommend this movie enough. It's very interesting. It's kind of intense and it's definitely not a quote unquote Disney movie. Yeah. Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> yeah. But here's movies that were in the like top 20 for 1982, an officer and a gentleman, the verdict Gandhi, you know, it's, it's Tron, I guess you're going to throw that in there, you know? So it's not like adult themed movies weren't doing well at the box office sure we'll see later on you know as we get to the late 80s but this movie again never heard of it i you know and again being eight years old i don't remember any promotional stuff about it but i think that 
Disney just, you know, had this, had a marketing problem and a movie that you and I love the Michael J. Fox debut film, Midnight Madness. Oh my God. So good. Also a Disney film was not released with Walt Disney pictures at the head of it because they didn't want people to think it was a Disney film and didn't really help the movie, but and Disney has since put their name on it, but that's the funny part. I do remember you talk about movies we watched as a kid. That movie I watched a lot as a as a ch- mm. as a child, and it held up. I did not know it was a Disney film until the DVD was released, and there were Disney logos on the DVD, yeah. and it, and that was it. Kind of dawned on me. Well, that makes sense. It did kind of. I mean, it wasn't like that aimed directly towards kids, but we could still enjoy it because the movie is basically college students on the scavenger hunt. You know, like you would think that's their attempt at trying to make something for like a teenage college age audience. But you're right. If they got a Disney logo on it, the target audience, who is basically all of the protagonists in the film are made up of that age group, are still not going to see it. Right. Yeah. So how does Disney come, you know, combat this problem? As I mentioned earlier, in the two years prior to launching Touchstone, they lost 60 million dollars in film revenue. And in 1984, only had 4% of the box office. Now, granted, I believe at this time, too, they're also starting up the Disney Channel, as you mentioned earlier. I think the Disney Cruise Lines were starting at this time. Um, Epcot, or Epcot, I think, had opened recently in addition to um, Walt Disney World. I believe Epcot was like 80, 81. And so I think Disney was already starting to get too big for themselves, but when it comes to the films, if you want to make, you know, if you want to get away from that Disney branded uh, dilemma, what do you do? You start a company that doesn't call itself Walt Disney. And you see if you can trick people into coming to see your films. And then later they'll find out that you're giving money to Disney. Yeah. And hope they don't feel guilty about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember the funny thing is like, I joked about seeing Popeye, and that was one of the co-productions they did with Paramount. The other one that they did was Dragon Slayer. And I think that comes up in a lot of those articles about how why Touchstone was created. Because I saw Dragon Slayer a few years ago at the Arrow Theater and I really enjoyed it. I, I don't I might have been a little bit freaky if I, or scary if I was a kid, but mm-hmm. I did thoroughly enjoy that movie, you know, as far as, you know, a sword and sorcerer's type tale. Mm-hmm. And then I was there was a list of movies that I kind of threw at you to say, hey, maybe watch some of these just to kind of give us something to talk about. And I liked that it. it seems like we didn't necessarily overlap, you know, I mean, Tron, again, you'd already seen it. I was, I wanted to refresh my memory and and, and show it to my wife. Um, And I, like I said, I enjoyed the black hole. The other one that I watched, which was a movie that I I hear a lot in articles about why Touchstone was created, came out in 1983 and it's called trench coat. And that's Margot Kidder and Robert Hayes. Again, Disney, I watch it. There's nothing on there. I think there's like, I think it says maybe Buena Vista distribution. Yes. Yeah. You know, but I don't know if that was added after the fact, like after it had its theatrical mm. run and it was just added you know, for the home media and stuff. But that movie was, that was a lot of fun. And it's one okay. of the ones that put a smile on my face. It wasn't quite Dean Jones or, or a, you know, a car, a self sentient <laughs> car, you know, but it's just, it's kind of, it's basically Margot Kidder plays a mystery novelist. And she goes on this vacation and then she gets wrapped up in a mystery itself. Mm-hmm. And then Robert Hayes plays like this mysterious character where it's like, is she, is he helping her or is he after her? And it's just, it's like, it's definitely got that family friendly vibe. Even if there's, you know, scenes of, 
I wouldn't say an adult nature, but you know, Robert Hayes is kind of a cad in the movie and you yeah. do see Margot get her in her, you know, in her underwear and stuff like that. But it's a really, really fun movie. And it's got, I want to say it was, yeah, David Suchet, Hercule, Hercule Poirot himself was in it. And I think that's one of the reasons that uh, my wife wanted to watch it because she's a big Poirot fan. But yeah, that's one. It's again, not streaming anywhere. You really have to go find it. Yeah. Uh, that was one that I really wanted to make sure that I watch. And I would I would recommend that. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to watch that. I ended up watching Condor Man. That was the other one that I was one. I was gonna I was gonna watch that. I'm glad you did for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I took one, I took a bullet for you. It's oh uh, it's <laughs> not, I don't know. It again, it's that Disney fied movie. It's a spy movie where uh, Michael Crawford, yes, that Michael Crawford, the Phantom, yes, plays a cartoonist who does a cartoon comic strip called Condor Man, and he has a friend that works at the CIA who is played by the dad from Teen Wolf, which is about the <laughs> highlight of the film, and he gets he you know goes on this mission to meet this woman who wants to defect from Russia, and somehow he gets wrapped up in a whole spy situation himself and it's just again it's not bad it's just a disney spy movie it could have been called herbie the spy basically <laughs> with, okay. with with as deep as the film is um and so yeah after watching that one i'm like okay i'm gonna pass on trench coat i'm gonna go straight to night crossing because that seems a little bit more uh difference in in style and wanted to see more variety okay yeah, and I feel like, you know, Disney only put out three movies in 1983. They put out Trenchcoat, and they did Something Wicked This Way Comes, and Never Cry Wolf. That was the other one. I, I, I meant to watch that one. I just did not quite get around to it. The subject matter, it doesn't interest me as much, but I still feel like it's... If it was a Tushla movie, I would have watched it and might have enjoyed it, but that was one. And I think that the, that movie's kind of notorious because it's got uh, male nudity in it and I, for a Disney film. Oh, my God. <laughs> You know, and so they did not release any movies in 1984, just the two touchdown movies, Splash and Country. And then, as we mentioned, Splash, the top 10 movie at the box office. I, I did see a note because you, you always like to look at the box office as well. And I, maybe you saw this. The highest grossing Disney film of 1983 was a re-release of Snow White. Yeah. You know, Never Cry Wolf was right behind it. But still, Snow, the, a re-release of an old movie was their highest grossing movie of the year. Bocce balls! Hey, it's Mike DeKalb here. When Chad and I set out to record this episode, we really didn't know where the conversation was going to go, and it wound up being a very fun and lively discussion. Unfortunately, as a result, the episode also went kind of long. So in order to make it flow better, we decided to break it up into two parts. Now, while this first part saw us focus more on what Disney was doing leading up to the formation of Touchstone Pictures, part two will pick up right where we left off with Touchstone's beginning Ron Miller's subsequent departure when he was replaced by Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg. And then we'll look at Touchstone's first 10 years, including how their films, along with the other Disney films, performed at the box office during that time period. And as a special treat, we wrap up by having each of us name our 10 favorite films from across all three Disney divisions. That's Touchstone Pictures, Walt Disney Pictures, and Hollywood Pictures. So we hope you enjoy that. Thanks for listening to part one. This is out of Touchstone, and we're out of time. Out of Touchstone is a Honey Nerds production. For more information, go to outoftouchstone.com. Be sure to follow at Out of Touchstone on Instagram and Twitter. And also, please like, subscribe, and leave a review 
on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. So, you're cool, I'm cool, we're cool. Thank you. Good night.